0: You are listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week with Pastor Chris Monaghan? Thank you for joining us. So, we're going to talk about having a heart for Israel. Everybody say, heart for Israel. The heart, what is the heart of God for Israel, and what should our heart be as well? First thing I want to talk about is that there's a land of promise, God set apart a portion of land. For the Israelites beginning with Abraham and in this process, there's a God made a covenant and when God makes a covenant with the people, he attaches land to that promise and we never want to violate the, the, what God gives to somebody. We don't want to violate that. How many know that when, when it comes down to property and your property, God honors He what he gives you, you need to maintain and when people cross your boundaries there is you are you are in trouble with the lord and so when we look at genesis 15 is where we'll be st- talking about today there's a covenant that god makes yahweh the father makes with abraham genesis 157 he says and he said to him i am the lord who brought you out from the ur of chaldeans To give you this land to possess. Let's all say that together. To give you this land to possess. So the Lord makes a covenant with a person. Abraham, then we have Isaac and Jacob. From Jacob, then we have the 12 tribes. From the 12 tribes, we have then the nation of Israel. And we see these promises have been fulfilled. And we need to honor the land that God gives to his people. If we do don't do that, the Bible talks very clearly about never moving a boundary stone and never violating boundaries. In the Bible, if you know, as a as a, someone who loves to study the Bible, come on, how many let's, let's confess our sins this morning. How many jump over some of those territorial things when you're reading that in the Bible? Let's be honest. Now you need to repent of that. Because God says, you know, I give this land from this mountain to this river, to this set of trees, to this herd of cows over here, I give to you. And then, and it, I mean, and it's all throughout the Bible. It's, there's a lot of honor in scripture and time. God says, this is where I want you to live. And these are the boundaries which you shall live. But can I tell you something about Israel? What makes Israel important is scripturally God himself, Yahweh, the father, he married Israel. And we are married to Jesus. That's kind of the, the picture you can have. I know that's kind of weird, but that's the, that's the best analogy I can give you today. And God has certain promises for his, for Israel, for his people. And is, there's a lot of Israel, and trust me, Israel makes up, the, the Jewish people make up 0.02% of the world's population. Many people, you, the, the number of times you see them, uh, you would think they must be like 10% of the population. They're not even a percentage point. There's tribes in Africa that are larger than the number of Israeli people, Jewish people. So God chose this nation, and through them, Jesus the Messiah came. Yes. Jesus came through this people. Yes. And then the first, all the first believers were Jewish. So today, it's backwards. We don't think Jewish people can receive Jesus. Back in Acts chapter 10, they were all surprised that non-Jewish people could receive Jesus. Read the book. (laughs) The entire book of Acts is about how do Jewish people and non-Jewish people get along. That's what the entire book of Acts is about. So, because... I've gone to a Messianic Jewish Bible school and began to study from a Jewish perspective. I've come to some different conclusions, and I want to take you through those today that might help you. Did you know never in the history of the world has a nation been restored to its homeland that was expelled? This is what happened to the Jewish people. They were expelled from their land in 70 A.D. And then once again, there was another expulsion in 135 A.D., and they were a group of people that were kicked out of their homeland. They were forbidden to, they would, at the price of death, they could not even come to their homeland. They were, they were expelled. And then in 1948, against all possibilities, something that has never happened in history, the Jewish people came back into their homeland, into their territory. That has never happened in history. That should be a sign right there for every person to see that God is real and he will fulfill his promises. The day they declared their independence and themselves as a nation, you know what happened? Every single Arab nation around them attacked them to destroy them. And then it happened again in 1967 and again in 1973. And then what we saw happen last week was an Israeli 9-11. It was where their borders were crossed and innocent people were killed and raped and murdered citizens and for people to celebrate that fact. And I want to speak truth this morning because the church has to be on the right side of Israel and the right side of the Bible. And God made a promise to Abraham and he had, you know, Abraham had a 90 year old wife and God said, hey, She's going to give you a child. And this child's going to be named Isaac. And, she, and this child is going to be the child of promise. But Abraham kind of struggled with that whole thing. Because when God spoke that he's going to do this, he's going to give your 90-year-old wife a child. How many, else, how many would struggle with that a little bit? Okay, God, how is this going to work? How many, Abraham's thinking, you know what, God, let me help you out a little bit. All right, how many have ever tried to help God out before? I uh, just say, so you know, God's really good at his job. He doesn't need your help. And it's powerful, but it's so true because what happened is Abraham realized this is an impossible situation. No way my wife's going to have a baby at 90. So there's this good looking Egyptian maidservant over here named Hagar that his wife says, hey, Abraham, what do you think? Abraham's a guy who's going, okay, yeah, honey. If you think it's okay, I'm good with it. How many of that wasn't God's plan? And when Abraham came together with Hagar, she became pregnant and produced a son named Ishmael, who was Abraham's descendant, but not the chosen one that God had called to carry forth his promise. Now People say, well, that's not fair. Deal with it. This is what God has spoken. God chooses, if God chooses someone to be the one that the anointing is on or the blessing is on or the favor is on, I respect that. Yes. If the other people don't like that, I'm like, well, then take it up with God. But he can do what he wants to do because he is the king of the universe. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and if he chose Yitzhak, Isaac. Then I'm choosing Isaac. Now, God loves all the people throughout the world. He loves Ishmael. And and you're going to read about this, how time after time God says, hey, I love Ishmael and I love them. But he is not the one that my promises are going to come through. I've got something very specific I want to do. And this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a 90-year-old woman give birth. And she's going to be going to give birth. And, it, and you're going to name this child Yitzhak, which means laughter. Because when she heard God say, you're going to have a baby, she goes, ha, 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 ha. And he goes, yeah, that's what you're going to name him too. <laughs> He's going to be named laughter. And that's how God moves. God doesn't move through our natural ways or, hey, God, let me figure it out for you. Let me go by my feelings because this is an impossible situation. I'll be glad to sleep with this Egyptian woman and help you out. But God says, that's counterfeit. This is the real deal. So if you look at how this all worked out, we see that there's a land of promise and God... Spoke to Abraham that this promise would take place through Isaac, not through Ishmael. And there's some great scriptures in in Romans that I'm not going to go over. But when God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, this is such a powerful verse. He says that, and he believed the Lord... And he counted it to him as righteousness. Talking 15 chapters into the Bible. We already have established, hear me on this, that your righteousness is established through faith, through belief. Now Luther rediscovered this truth because throughout history the you know the Catholic Church and much of the church began to strive for we're going to become righteous through our works and Luther rediscovered this that was re- rediscovered from what Paul's writings were but through this act of God giving a child through Sarah Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness so for us to look at even modern day situations, we may feel a certain way or think things should go a certain way. But if God says, this is the way I want it done, then we come into alignment with him and we become a blessed people. Otherwise, we're kicking against the goads, as they would say. We are like a sandcastle trying to stand up in the midst of a huge ocean. We can't stand unless we get in alignment with what God's word says, because he's a covenant making God. He made a covenant with Abraham. He will fulfill it. He made a covenant with Moses. He will fulfill that. And thank God he made a covenant with his son, Jesus, and he will fulfill that one as well. If we begin to doubt the covenant he made with Abraham, why should we doubt the covenant he made with Jesus? So I'm going to stand fast that God is going to be faithful To carry out the promises he made about the land. He goes on to say in Isaiah 7, 6. There's enemies out there that want to divide and take the land away from the Israelites. It says, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart. Divide it among ourselves and make somebody else a king over it. How many know that that's in scripture? That there are forces that want to take the land back. Psalm 135, 12 says, and he gave them a land as a heritage, a heritage to his people, Israel. The nation of Israel was formed in one day. Isaiah chapter 66 promises this. It says, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. What's happened back in 1948 is nothing less than a miracle. It's nothing less than a sign from God that he will keep his promises. You should be excited about that. <laughs> and if he kept them to the Jewish people, he will keep them with you and I. And if we begin to say, no, that those are old covenant. These aren't important anymore then what we're doing is we're taking away that stability and faith that we have of the promises he took care of in the past. So there's a land of promise, but I want to talk about the Arabs right now. I want to talk about the Arab nations from a biblical standpoint. I want to talk about the descendants of Ishmael. And if you, I think I have a little graph up there. I don't know if it came up, but it has a picture of the, there you go. Isn't that beautiful? No, it's not very beautiful. Yuck. Here we go. So you have Abraham and Sarah, and you have Isaac, who was born from Abraham and Sarah, but you also have this other descendant called Ishmael. And he was a descendant of not Abraham and Sarah. Remember, Jesus is a picture of the promised child. When the Bible talks about the first mention of love in the Bible is Genesis chapter 21, when God says, sacrifice the son whom you love. Isn't that a great picture? Because Jesus fulfilled this as the promised son that came for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. When it refers to the idea of one and only son, that is a picture of Isaac Yitzhak in Hebrew. But there is another son who was born prior, born first. It's a picture of what we do sometimes when we try to step out in our own selves to try to make something happen. That's called the spirit of stupid, by the way. And what happened is Abraham and Hagar, Came together and Ishmael was born. And now this child. Began to persecute the promised one. Whenever you go ahead of God. And try to do things your own way. The thing that will be birthed. Will be the thing that will destroy the promise. Unless it is sent away. And forsaken. And that's exactly what. Sarah said. Abraham you got to tell these two to go. They have to leave. Why? Because they are persecuting. The one whom the blessing is going to come through. It's really hard to do. How many many have ever given birth to an Ishmael before? Okay, let's not raise our hands, right? Ouch! Okay. You can say ouch or amen. But right, we've, we've given birth to an Ishmael. We're like, oh, and we have to separate it. And Abraham was really attached to Ishmael like he should be. But he had to follow the Lord because this was not the child of promise. And now from the Ishmaelites... We have now the nations, the Arab nations. Isn't that fascinating? And there is is a spiritual hatred that takes place between Ishmael and Isaac that's still continuing today that I believe Jesus will restore one day. But there is an ancient hostility that is still in their DNA. It's in their very core. They don't understand where it comes from. Jesus can heal that. Jesus will heal that. Because it's a generational curse. Now I've had the privilege to to study Islam and in the Quran and understand the teachings of Islam. And I want to talk a little bit about that today because those teachings of Islam are rooted in a rejected child of Abraham. A jealous child of Abraham. Of Abraham. One who was sent away a bitter child. And we have to identify that. Interesting. Genesis 17, 18. When when the Lord is is telling Abraham, I'm going to set you in a land and give you a territory. And it's going to come through Isaac. You know what Abraham says? Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Like Abraham still had a heart for his son Ishmael. And The Lord responds in verse 19. He says, God said, no. (laughs) He just said, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Now, this covenant is established, but this covenant includes a land promise. But Abraham's like, please, Let let it just come on my son, Ishmael. And a lot of people today is like, well, let's, let's just divide the land. Let's, let's just give some to Ishmael and some to Isaac because they're both Abraham's descendants. There's people who talk like that. But God said, let's all say this together. (laughs) Let's say it again. (laughs) He said, no, Now what doesn't matter what you feel. It's what he says. He said, no. But God has blessed Ishmael. Did you know where all the oil is in the world? It's in the Middle East. He loves He loves He loves the Arabic people. There's a lot of Arabic Christians, a lot of Palestinian Christians. He loves them, but there are promises that God has made that He must and will fulfill. And if we try to stand against His promises, then we will be destroyed ourselves. We'll be knocked off our horse. We, we have to come into alignment with what God has spoken. Am I making sense this morning? While it is, and this is a book called uh, A Jew Will One Day Rule the World by Joel Richardson. It says, while it is clear that the Lord loves the descendants of Ishmael, the land promises of the Abrahamic covenant were made solely to the nation of Israel. You, when you honor God's word, you honor him. When you don't honor God's word, you're putting yourself under a curse. Why was our nation so blessed under Trump? Because he's such a good businessman. He is a good businessman. But he blessed Israel. He blessed life in the womb from conception. Why was our nation so blessed? It's not because he was some great businessman. More importantly, he came into alignment with some truths That a lot of people on the left don't get because they don't understand the Bible. But we have this nation of people, this group of people called the Arabs, who around the 7th century, they formed their own religion called Islam. Everybody say Islam. Islam. Islam is a religion where they have, it was founded in the 7th century and they conquered huge territories in the Middle East. And when they did this, they didn't just go in and put people in subjection. They forced them to convert to their religion. They forced Christians to abandon Christianity and Jesus, and they threatened them at death. You convert or you die. That's how Islam expanded its territory. They were brutal. They were rapists. They were kidnappers and they learned this because. In in the according to Islam and the Quran, Allah is the God of the Quran. Allah is God in Arabic, and Muhammad is the Prophet of Allah. God is called Allah, and the Prophet is called Muhammad. Now, Muhammad kind of takes the place like we see Jesus in the New Testament. Muhammad took the place of that person, quote unquote, maybe. In the Quran. He wasn't Allah, but he was the the prophet of, of Allah, who Muhammad was. Now, if you study Muhammad, Muhammad was a brutal warlord. He had hundreds of wives. He taught his men that when you die, if you are faithful to Allah and you kill for Allah, he will give you 70 virgins. And all the wine you can drink for the rest of eternity. 70 beautiful virgins. Now, was the Quran written by a man or a woman? I'm still trying to figure this one out. It's perverted. It's twisted. Can you imagine teaching young children, this is what heaven's going to be like? Sick. Islam's not a religion. It's a cult. Islam is not a religion. It's a cult. Because it takes the truths of Judaism and Christianity and twists them and distorts them. God's not a brothel owner who awards men, doesn't you know what are the women? Women are oppressed. This is why the warriors of Muhammad were so valiant, because they were taught from a very young age, this is what your reward's gonna be. So if we die, we get this. But if we live, we still get it anyway. Because to Muhammad, lying was not wrong if it pushed forward the cause of Islam. You could lie. If you were in a position of weakness, you lied till you became strong. That's immoral. You understand? Muhammad married a six-year-old girl and consumed that marriage when she was eight or something like that. He's a pedophile. This, this is documented, by the way. This is not. So you understand, if people are following Muhammad's teaching, they're going to do what Muhammad did. Just like we follow what Jesus did, we're going to do what Jesus did. So this is the ideology that is being spread throughout the Middle East and in much of Islam. Scary. Because people are being brainwashed into believing something that's anti-biblical, anti-God, that's satanic. It's satanic. The Lord loves the Arabic people. But they have to come in line with their position and their rightful position. They need to submit themselves to God's promises and God's word just going to read you a quote. It says, if Islam is a peaceful religion, then why did Muhammad engage in 47 battles? Why in every campaign, the Muslim armies have fought throughout history. They have slaughtered men, women, and children who did not bow their knee to the lordship of Islam. This is just history. All the boundaries, the borders of Islam are stained with blood. You either convert, or you die. And for us to believe that Islam is a peaceful religion, you're being duped. The ones who understand Arabic and know Arabic will tell you what the people are really saying. They say one thing in English, but another thing in their Arabic language. This was um, spoken on Palestinian TV back in 2003, I believe it says, The goal of Islam is to rule the entire world and submit all of mankind to the faith of Islam. Any nation or power that gets in the way of that goal, Islam will fight and destroy. In order to fulfill that goal, Islam can use every power available every way it can be used to bring worldwide revolution. This is jihad. So that's the goal. It's the drive. The drive of Islam is not to establish healthy places for people to live, for their families to thrive, for people to have peace and love each other. Their goal is to take over the world. And if that means taking back land from Israel, they will do it, whatever they have to do to make that happen. Because that's what the goal is. And if we don't see that, our head is in the sand. A lot of times... I want to just recommend a really good book. It's called Defenders of the West by Raymond Ibrahim. He is an Arabic scholar and an Arabic historian. And he did a great talk on the Crusades. Now, how many have heard the Crusades? They're awful, horrible, terrible, awful uh, things that the church did. We don't want to become Crusaders. It's awful. Did you know that the Crusades were a response to the 18 barbaric crusades that the Muslims did prior to them acting and going to war. They were, they were a response of the church because Christians were being slaughtered in the Islamic lands. And they said, Enough is enough. We have to do something. We have to take up arms and fight. And you know, the Bible does say in Ecclesiastes chapter three there's a time to love, there's a time to hate. There's a time for peace, and there's a time for war. And if you're a pacifist, can I tell you, you're deceived. There is a time when we have to go to war. There's a time where we have to hate. And there's a time for the sake of our civilization that we have to take up arms. what happened during the crusades and if you read this book you'll see what happened now i want you to imagine being under islamic control in the 13th century the 12th century and what was required of you you were taxed of course you were they took from you they took taxes from you but one of the taxes that the, the, the islamists would require from you as a christian because you were a christian you have five children. We're going to take two of your children. It's called a child tax. We're taking, two of your chi- we're taking two of your five children and we're going to raise them as jihadists in our own country. And they would take those children from the age you know, five to ten. They would molest them. They would rape them. They would indoctrinate them. And they rose up, they they rose, they created a whole entire army of these Christian children that were now converted to Muslims. And then they were sent back into their own territory to kill their own families. Now, if you're a pacifist and you would tolerate that, something is severely wrong with you. Like if you would not take up arms against something as evil as that, you need your head checked. There is a time when our, that we can't say, oh, in a hundred years, who's going to care? There is things that are happening right now that we can't just say, well, let bygones be bygones. No, we have to act. We have to speak truth. And we have to see what the enemy plans to do. And if we are silent in the face of evil, that is evil itself. We have to not only speak out, but encourage, act. And if it calls us to go to war, that's what we'll have to do. Just trying to bring you into a biblical understanding. There's a story in the Bible about a guy named Naboth. And Naboth wanted the vineyard that was next to him. And when he went and asked Naboth, Ahab went over and said, can I have your vineyard? And he said, no, it's the Lord's inheritance. I won't give it to you. And so Ahab, the king, went home and cried like a baby and pouted and wouldn't eat. And <laughs> he was crying. And then Jezebel came in. Now, I may know Jezebel is not a good name. Jezebel, Queen Jezebel came in and said, oh, honey, let me get that for you. You're the king. You deserve it. It's what you want. It's close. It'll work out perfectly. And she created this whole scheme. She lied. She did whatever it took to have Naboth killed so that her husband could take the land. Now, there's some similarities to the story, what we see going on in the media today, between that story, because, number one, there's a conflict over land. Notice that. There was a conflict over Naboth's land and Ahab. Ahab wanted it, but Naboth said, no, this belongs to the Lord. This is land that's been set apart for me and my family. And then what happens is then Ahab becomes the victim. Woe is me. Wah, 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 wah. Now let me ask you a question because as I've studied how the Jezebel spirit operates. If you're a person that's for the underdog, come on. How many have ever said that before? I'm just always for the underdog, right? The one who's behind, the one who looks like there's no way they, they can win. I'm going to throw my support behind the underdog. Is that, does that make sense? Because anybody like that? They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm always for the, rooting for the underdog, rooting for the underdog. How many know sometimes the underdog is evil and the underdog is not right? But today, because of this ideology called Marxism, the underdog is always the one that's supported in our media, in our churches, in our, in Hollywood and culture. If you can identify as the victim, as the underdog, you'll get support. And then you have a car blanc to do whatever you want and be justified in what you did. So there's a conflict over land. People are playing the victim. And then a false, false narratives are being created right now. False narratives applied. What did Jezebel do? She created a narrative that got Naboth killed so that they could get the land. There's narratives that are being created out there that makes the Palestinians look as the victim. and makes Israel look the wicked people. Now, in both sides of the story, your pastor is not saying that Israel is righteous and all Jews are righteous. They're as wicked as any other people group, if you know any. They're good people that are in the Arabic community that don't want to see this happen. But because the Hamas, which is the terrorist group that leads the Gaza Strip right now, was voted in by the Palestinians, they're in charge. And it reminds us as a people, if we tolerate evil in our own government... It's not just our evil government that will go down, but all of us will go down. So we have to become intolerant of evil. We the people. And there are things that are happening that we got to be aware that there is false narratives that are put out there to see Israel lose their land. And what happens if that happens? Back in 2005, we moved here in 2005 to, uh, to the Richmond area. I believe, yeah, it was 2005. We were coming from Illinois to uh, Richmond to be established here and to make a difference in the community and been here almost, almost 20 years. You believe that? It's crazy. But in 2005, as we were packing, as we were leaving, I'm watching CBN News. And it's August 2005, and I'm watching what's going on in the Gaza Strip in 2005, as I'm packing. And I'm, you ever watch something and you have this gut feeling like, Ugh, like something is, this is not right. This is not right. And what had happened in 2005 is Condoleezza Rice, our secretary of state, and George Bush, people say there's not a demon behind every Bush. There's one behind this Bush. They pushed Israel to give up the Gaza Strip, that piece of land, to give it up so that the Palestinians and Israel could have peace. They pushed them. They forced them. What happened is is they went in with bulldozers and they forcefully removed 10,000 Israelis from the Gaza Strip. Now, if you study a map, the Gaza Strip is on the coast. It's beautiful land. It's prosperous. They were forced to give it up because of our own nation. George Bush and Condoleezza Rice forced them to give up the land for peace. The Israeli population, there's, we are 500 to one compared to Israelites. So what their population is, we have 500 times more. No, yeah. Three out of every two people are good at math. You know that joke. What happened is right after Israel went in do, to do that with the American banking, or with the American backing in banking, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans within three days after they were forced out. And there was a 500 to 1 forced evacuation. Like, 10,000 evacuated from Israel. 500,000 evacuated in America. The exact ratio from population to devastation. How many think that was God's curse and judgment upon America? For the Gaza Strip. Where did this attack just happen? From Gaza. The evil and the horrible things that took place. The murder of babies and innocent civilians. Thousands of people killed. You see what happened during that rave and, and the, the terrorists came in and just shot and raped women and killed and it's horrifying. What happened last week? Our hands are stained with blood. You understand? America. America. Because I'm not pointing at... I, I'm taking... I mean, I understand this is terrorism. This is an ideology of Islam that's evil. But... America's eyes aren't opened. If what happened in 2005 happened to America in a similar thing, get your guns ready, America. Because that evil is coming. It's probably already here with our borders being wide open. A year ago, I thought the borders are open because the left wants their votes. Mm-mm. It's much more sinister and evil than you could ever imagine. Let me continue on. Why is Israel being forced to give up their land? Can you show a picture of the map of the Middle East? These are all the lands in the Middle East the little red part you see is Israel. And what are all the, Middle East, the Arabic nations trying to do? They're trying to get Israel to give up their land to some Arabic people. Israel makes up one five hundredth of the land mass of the entire Middle East. If a Palestinian nation is so important, why don't you give up some of your land instead of trying to force Israel to give up their land? And we see what happened when Israel did give up their land. It was created into a place where Israel could be decimated and put in danger. That was what happened. They were pulling, you know, the EU put pipelines in for water for the people of Palestine to help. They dug the pipes out and created them in the missiles. That's how sick the the ideologies are that we are battling john dawson said this the greatest wounds in human history the greatest injustices have not happened through the acts of some individual perpetrator rather through institutions systems philosophies cultures religions and governments of humankind So why is your pastor speaking out against these ideologies? Because these are the dangerous things that need to be pulled down, torn down, called out and brought into a place of truth and light. That's, that's why we speak out against these things. It's not that there are, it's these people that are evil, but these, the children are being raised with these ideologies that we have to call out and say, no, this, this is evil. We are fighting against a satanic ideology that plagues the minds of many. And God made a covenant with Abram. He made a covenant with Abram. And that covenant included land with details. And I love this story. I'm going to close with this story. Well, land is plain here. He said to him, and I want you to see this picture. Yahweh comes to Abram and he says, Abram, I want to make a covenant with you. Isn't that awesome? That the God of the universe sought out Abram and he said, I want to make a covenant with you. And so they, he says, bring me a heifer, bring me a, an animal, bring me a bird, a goat, a bird. And and, and he cuts these in half, cut these in half. And they make them into a carcass and, and cut them in half. And, and Abram You know, he did all that that Yahweh told him to do because why they're getting ready to have a covenant to make a covenant together. And in this covenant, there's always a picture of two people standing. One stands between the dead animals. And the the point is, is that one side walks through the, the animal parts, the carcasses and declares, may this happen to me if I ever violate the terms of our agreement. And if you can imagine that the God of the universe is making this covenant with Abraham. Hey, I want to make a covenant with you. Now, the odd thing about this covenant, you can read about this in Genesis chapter 15. Is that you find that there's not, Abraham doesn't walk through it. He falls asleep. Typical man, huh? He goes into a deep sleep. Hebrew word Tardama is the Hebrew word. Similar to when Adam went into his sleep and God removed his, the it's there, the helper. Abraham goes to sleep and then we read what happens. You could turn up the pad a little bit. It says, verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these two pieces. Wait a second, that's not what the covenant's supposed to, that's not how it's supposed to happen. Abram's supposed to walk through it on his part for mankind and God will walk through it on his part for heaven. You represent Earth, I rep- represent heaven. but what happens? Instead, a smoking pot goes through. It's a declaration of covenant and then a blazing torch goes through. Abraham never walks through. Those pieces, but it's a picture. You see, the smoking fire pot represents the, the the revelation that we can see, but not fully see the light of. What is smoke? It's a it's it shows that there's a fire, but you can't see the fire. That's what the old covenant is, that's what the old testament is. Jesus is smoking all over the pages, but you don't see the flaming torch. Until he steps onto the planet. You don't see the fulfillment of Jesus as the light of the world. Until he comes 2,000 years later to fulfill that. Why didn't Abram walk through those pieces? Because Jesus walked through for him. Jesus was the representation of not heaven but of earth. Because God established the covenant with Jesus. Through us through Jesus for us to come to him he is the flaming torch that walked through those pieces and because the covenant was broken he took upon himself the very curse that Abram was supposed to say may this happen to me if this covenant is ever broken see Abram didn't say that but Jesus did that's why when Jesus went to the cross his flesh was torn off He was torn apart like an animal because of this very covenant we look at today. He took the price for you and I. And part of that covenant that was made, I believe God is fulfilling even now. Verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham to your offspring. I give you this land. God said, land is part of covenant. And he goes and tells them from this river of Egypt to the great river. Of, he gives them details of what belongs to Israel. The land part of covenant is something you and I need to fully embrace. Let's stand together. Come on, let's give God a shout of praise. He is good. God made unconditional promises and God cannot lie. The promised land belongs to the sons of Israel, not because of their goodness or faithfulness, but because of God's faithfulness. If our God does not keep his promise to the Jews, why should he keep it for us? If you leave with anything else today, I want to assure you, God will keep his promises to Israel. God will keep his promises to Israel. And we as a church need to confidently stand with the Lord in these promises. And we're praying. We're interceding. We're asking God to bless the nation of Israel and that his promises will be fulfilled. I want to encourage you. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God is both a God of promise, both of the spiritual and the natural. And we have to be supportive in this time. If it's time for war, we have to be ready for war. If it's time to hate, I know as Christians, we don't like that word, but we cannot discount that we have to hate because our hate is not out of this angry hatred, but it's because we love the future generations. We love our children and we love our country. We love our world. That's what drives us to war. Not the hatred, but the love for what could be lost and will be lost if we as Christians are silent in this time. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you as you impart to us a love for your people, a love for the covenant, a love for the fulfillment of what Jesus has done for us. And god i pray that you would put a fire in us in this season i thank you for your spirit god i thank you for making us like you and i thank you for what you've been parted to us today god we pray for those that are are trapped in lies and trapped in ideologies god we pray for the the missions and the the laborers lord that are going forth the ones even in this own room god that will that will be challenged to go to the place where the gospel's never been preached to stand in places where their blood can be shed. But go boldly, Lord, for the sake of the gospel. God, I thank you. I thank you for doing that and us doing that in our church. We pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray for Takoon Ministries and Revive Israel. Right now that, that are in the land, we pray, God, that you will give them wisdom and, wisdom and boldness and favor and protection over them and their children that are serving in the IDF. And God, we thank you for Israel. We thank you for Israel, God. Let let us have the same heart for Israel as you have, God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. See, the picture that we have here, and I want you to carry with you, is that you are like a city that is surrounded by walls and gates. And as with the gates of ancient Jerusalem, each one has a specific function and a spiritual purpose meant for the well-being of the city of God. Same way with your life. Every gate that you are possessing in your life means that you are making wise decisions. You're forbidding certain things to come into your life. And you're also uh, you're you're sending the bad out and you're inviting the good in. Uh, So in in what we will do in this course is we'll actually be inviting the blessing of God on our life, but we'll also be forbidding the spirit of mammon to come into our life. We'll be inviting, healing, the healing power of Jesus into our life, but we'll be forbidding the spirit of infirmity. And every day you go through this exercise of inviting the good things in and forbidding the evil things from coming into your life. And I guarantee you have so many testimonies that I've had where people say, once I once I begin to, to do these declarations that are found um, and preserved for us in the book of Nehemiah, they say there's something that goes on in their life that strengthens them and that blesses them. The gates of Jerusalem mentioned in the book of Nehemiah are types of spiritual gateways that can be applied to your personal life. So you want to picture yourself as a Nehemiah in this course, that you're a gatekeeper. You're someone that, like Nehemiah, had the gates restored, the walls built up, and you have seen the ruin and the devastation that has happened in your life because you have not had those gates uh, possessed and you've not had those walls built up in your life. And it's the, same, it's the story of the book of Nehemiah that we'll go through. But you are a gatekeeper. Come on, say that. I am a gatekeeper. I am a gatekeeper. You have to see yourself as someone that will possess the gates that will build the walls. And how do you do that in your own life? You do that through your personal declarations over your own life. And how do you do that uh, for others is you pray for others. You intercede for others. You stand in the gap for others. And this is one way that has helped uh, many people, including myself, have a consistent prayer life and an effective prayer life. And I've seen my, my level of authority uh, develop in a stronger way in every area of my life. There's a call of God. You have a call of God on your life. You have a dream and a purpose that God has put inside of you to fulfill. And this is one of the ways uh, through prayer and through declarations that we can uh, build our own lives up through the power of our spoken words and possessing the gates that God has given us to possess. So we are right now, the tour around Jerusalem begins at the Sheep Gate. That is at the northwest corner and it continues counterclockwise around the city of ancient Jerusalem until the inspection gate is reached. And And you can see uh, there's a number at each gate. There's 10 gates and we begin at the sheep gate and we work our way around counterclockwise. And you'll see uh, begins with the sheep gate. Then it goes to the fish gate, then to the old gate, then to the valley gate, then to the dung gate. Then to the fountain gate or the eye gate, the same Hebrew word for a fountain, which is ayin is the same word, which means eye. So there's some very powerful things you'll see in here uh, as we get into some of the Hebrew as well. Uh, We'll go to the, then we'll go to the water gate. That's where the well of the city was located. Of course, they, the, the people in Jerusalem would leave the city, get the water, bring it back into the city, the horse gate, the east gate, which represents, uh, jesus king messiah where he will return through and uh then we finally end with the inspection gate and these gates again gates were often named after a a deity or after um, a purpose of the gate so the dung gate well i think i skipped that one but the valley gate and the dung gate um the dung gate represent the place where they would take their trash so if you see the, the picture, it's the place where the fire was. That's where the fire will be burning in the city. We could call it the trash gate or the refuse gate, but it's, but in ancient times, they called it the dung gate. And uh, so there's different gates, and there, the gates were named after their function most oftentimes. So it's very simple, a very simple pattern, um, but there's spiritual significance behind every gate. And this is the beauty of Scripture that uh, as we will be studying the book of Nehemiah, you and I will discover the the hidden purposes that God has placed in these 10 gates. Wow, it is amazing. Again, every gate has a meaning and we'll go through that, that the sheep gate represents covenantal forgiveness. That I love how, you know, when Nehemiah begins, the first gate that's mentioned that is built is the sheep gate. And this is the place of blood sacrifice. Uh, It's a picture of the sheep or the lamb because Jesus is the fulfillment of the lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. And his blood was shed in a similar way that the the temple would uh, be receiving sheep from that gate. There's a picture that it's also the first gate that it all begins with covenantal forgiveness. And uh, at the Sheep Gate is where you and I learn the power of forgiveness. And we pray for forgiveness at that da- gate. We forgive others at that gate. Uh, how many know it's important on a daily basis to go through and, and to forgive others as we have been forgiven? We'll talk about that at the Sheep Gate. The next gate is the gate of blessing, covenantal blessing. One of the most powerful gates uh, where uh, it's, it, it's called the Fish Gate but fish represent blessing throughout the, the Hebraic scriptures and throughout the New Testament scriptures as well. We remember uh, Peter was blessed. How did he get blessed? How did he get his taxes paid for? Uh, he caught a fish. Fish represent blessing. So there's a lot of um, allegories and spiritual significance to every gate, but covenantal blessing. The third gate we'll talk about represents covenant healing, covenantal healing. It's called the old gate. We'll go through healing. The fourth gate is called the valley gate. You see the picture of the person kneeling. That's a picture of humility. I've seen uh, when we've taken people through this course, uh, tremendous healing happens when we go through. You will receive, I believe a lot of you will receive uh, healing, especially in your back when it comes to uh, learning the power of humility. We'll go. Then we'll talk about the dung gate, which is the fifth gate which uh, describes unclean habits and demonic powers. And maybe, you know, you don't understand or haven't been open to uh, learning about the power of demonic spirits. But in the book of Nehemiah, there's there's a gate that we will go through and it helps us uh, understand that we have authority to drive out demons in our own lives and in other, other people's lives as well. And that's what happens at the Dung Gate. Um, gate number six is the fountain gate or the eye gate. We'll learn how to see in the spirit at that gate. And again, every day we're, we're, we're making declarations, uh, that we are going to be able to see into the spirit. Uh, every day at this gate, you are going to be making declarations about all the gifts of the spirit, the, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healings, prophecy, working a miracle, spiritual discernment, speaking in tongues, interpretation in tongues. So every day, the the gift of faith, every day you're declaring these gifts of the Spirit over your life that I want. Like, you know, people say, well, I don't believe that uh, the gifts of the Spirit are for everyone. Well, you can believe that. I just happen to believe that they're for everyone. I happen to believe that I can have them all if I ask for them. Uh, you know, that's what a good father does. He gives gifts. So. Why limit ourselves? Like who said we can't have all the gifts? About so of course this. Yeah. we move on next to the Watergate, and that describes the the Word of God, the importance of the Word of God, the Bible, the B I B L E, and uh, we'll learn about the power of God's Word. I love the Word of God. Um, at uh, gate number eight is we is the Horse Gate. It's where uh, we learn the trust, not in the things of this world, but we learn the trust in the Lord you know Bible says some may trust in horses some may trust in chariots but we will trust in the name of our God and horses represent things that we're leaning on instead of leaning on the Lord and this is a great opportunity every day and through this course to learn how the horse gate has influenced our lives like I said you can be great at all these gates but if you if you're not if you have uh, an open gate and you're letting the wrong things in To your city or to your life it can destroy the whole city a thief only needs one open door to steal everything that you have and that will not happen to you i declare that over you right now that is not what will happen and this is one of the ways to learn how to pray effectively the uh number eight or number eight was worldly influence of the horse gate number nine is the east gate which represents uh our worship up to the Messiah, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We worship him. He comes through the East Gate. It's prophesied. We will um, look into that gate, study that gate. You'll be blown away on that. That is an amazing gate. And finally, uh, gate number 10 is the inspection gate. Uh, And this is the gate where we learn about fulfilling our destiny, that God has a destiny for you and I. But it begins, notice that we begin with the blood. We begin with forgiveness. That's, I love how there's this amazing picture in the book of Nehemiah that was written, you know, 2,500 years ago by, you know, Nehemiah. And and this story is a now story. It's a, this is a Kairos time for this story to come back into the forefront so that you and I can learn how to pray effectively, declare effectively, help. Uh, fulfill our destiny and help become everything that God has called us to be. And it's a guide that has been, it's not been, I love it. it, it, Yes, it's been hidden, but it's been hidden right in front of us in the word of God, praise God. And, And we can feel confident that it's from the Lord because it's in his word. So we're not pulling in some new fresh revelation this is revelation that's been in front of us this whole time that we're now beginning to see with spiritual eyes that this is something that has been left behind for us to help us grow and help us fulfill the call of god on our lives what begins the the begins with the sheep gate the blood we are uh, go around the city and we end with fulfilling our destiny and this is where each and every one of us want to want to end up